Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. You know what I love, Wendy? What do you love? I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, me too. That's got to be one of the best creations. It is. It is. It was actually, I think they're paranormally good. Like they were made <laughs> like God or Allah or the goddess or the universe came down is like, we need some peanut butter and chocolate stat um, and put it together. So I always think of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups whenever I think of two great things that are thrown together. Yeah, and just like the commercials say. Right. It, like, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. And it's like, you got your peanut yeah. butter and my chocolate. <laughs> so Mike DeMonte got his chocolate in our peanut butter this week by combining two of our favorite things, and that's punk rock and UFOs. That's amazing. So, Wendy, who's your favorite punk rock band, do you think? Punk rock, um, probably Descendants. Mm, Descendants is a strong band. We talk about the Descendants in this interview. That's awesome. And it's funny because he, you know, he mentions Milo from the Descendants. And Milo did go to school in Madison and worked here for yeah. a long time. Biochemist or something. Mm -hmm. But what I did not mention in the interview was that we got to play a song with Milo on TV uh, a long time ago when we were in college. So long ago. So when he was talking about it, I was like, I wanted, I wanted to be like, oh my God, yeah, we rocked with Milo. We played Hope by the Descendants. But, <laughs> but I didn't say that. But I did say, you know, what a big fan of the Descendants that I am. And I know, so, and I know that you are. Yes. And very. so they're your favorite punk rock band. And it's hard to say what my favorite punk rock band is. Right now, I really like a band called Hot Water Music. Okay. And I find myself going back to their songs over and over again. Cool. So I still like Hot Water Music, but part of me still likes the, uh, the original stuff with the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. Ooh, that's always classic. Like that, I, I also find myself listening to that music, uh, those 1970s punk bands, more than I find myself listening to a lot of other stuff. Can't go so, wrong with them. No, I know. It's just such a cliche thing when you say, what's your favorite punk band? You're like, well, I like the Sex Pistols. It's like, yeah. Anarchy in the UK. <laughs> right. Or like the Ramones, like, yeah, you just like jock jams. Uh, <laughs> nice. So anyway, but I do, I do I find myself listening to that 70s stuff, but I do find myself listening to a lot of Bad Religion uh, at the same oh, time. Oh, I love that band too. Yeah. Good, right. Good call. So I still, I still have some of that, uh, that 90s uh, alternative punk life uh, still in me left. What's your favorite UFO, Mike? My favorite UFO? Probably the Billy Meyer UFO that you see on the, the X-Files I Want to Believe poster. <laughs> the classic. And because the Billy, you know, Billy Meyer, was, he lived in Switzerland, and he was his photographer that said that he got these amazing pictures of UFOs. And they are good pictures. Like, I think Billy Meyer was an artist, but mm -hmm. I also think he was a complete fraud. <laughs> Like, just like there's no way those pictures are real. They they look fake. They look like they're made out of yeah. household appliances. You know, like he's like, you know what I can do? I can take the drain from the sink and I can put it on this and put some foil on the side and I can make the pictures look good. Yeah. I, I think Billy Meyer was an artist and a very excellent con man. Uh, so that's my favorite UFO. Wendy, what's yours? 
I don't know. I think I have to piggyback on that one. I mean, because that's the one that comes to mind whenever you think of UFOs. Yeah, you just think of that particular picture. So I'm with you. But anyway, so we talk about punk rock and UFOs. And and Mike DeMonte has got a blog. He's got a book. And he's just getting into this whole field now. And it was exciting to be able to talk to a guy who's coming from a completely fresh perspective. And uh, he's a Texan. Not originally from Texas, Yeehaw. but he is. He lives in, in Houston. All right. Uh, and so we talked a little bit about Houston. We talked about you know when he, I'm thinking about punk rock in Houston, and I'm talking about the places we used to play, like the Sidecar and Cardi's and the last con- no name pizza place. Oh my God, the double double D pizza or whatever. Yeah, the no name pizza. No place. name. No name pizza place. <laughs> and uh, but the last concert cafe is still standing. Oh, that's cool. So that place still that has a neat show. place. I liked it. It was. So I enjoyed talking about that because we have played Space City a lot of times. And anyway, I think you guys are going to enjoy our conversation with Mike DeMonte about UFOs, a punk rock. Joining us today is journalist Mike DeMonte, all the way from Houston, Texas. And he's going to talk about his book, Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. How are you doing today, Mike? Oh, great. For, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we're finally able to make this work. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be here. Well, as soon as I saw the title of your book, I knew we had to have a conversation. <laughs> because, you know, playing in a, a rock band for all these years and um, dipping my toes in the punk universe for a long time, I was like, okay, well, what is punk rock and UFOs about? Uh, what's Mike about in his book? So let's get the elevator pitch. What is punk rock and UFOs? The best way to describe is I always tell people punk rock and UFOs looks at cryptozoology as an underdog science. Okay. Um, so when people always hear the term punk rock, they're always have to do with UFOs and they automatically think music. And I'm like, no, it's more about the, the rebellious nature. You know, uh, we rebel against certain beliefs um, and the certain beliefs that we don't rebel against. So it's about our process of belief and why cryptozoology is treated as an underdog science just by through mainstream science, through media, et cetera. And I have seven plus years working in mainstream media, um, years ago as well. So I kind of understand how they, how that works on that end. So that's kind of the best way to describe the book. I mean, there's other stuff in there as well. There, there's some theories or some uh, personal anecdotes. Um, but yeah, the, the best way to describe it is cryptozoology as an underdog science. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. So, you know, when people are into unusual things like we are, it's there's usually some kind of story that got them into it in the first place. So where you so right now you're you're in Houston, the lovely yeah. Gulf City of Houston, Texas, and I'm headed to a Gulf City on Sunday. We're going back to New Orleans uh, to enjoy nice. that. But you're there now. Where are you from originally? And did you have some kind of paranormal experience, or did you, like did Bigfoot step on you, or something like that? <laughs> how you got into it in the first place? Uh, I'm originally from New York. Um, I grew up in uh, New York. And we moved to Pennsylvania for about half a year before coming to Texas. Um, I wish I had a really cool story where one day I saw a UFO and I got into it. Um, I've witnessed stuff after the fact, but when I was a kid, I used to, I loved to read. And uh, my mom, she got, um, she got me the Time Life uh, books. Every month they would have a new monthly series. And it was all like, um, one of the months would be mysteries, unsolved mysteries or uh, paranormal. Or another one would be... Uh, mysterious creatures or the ufo phenomenon and each month was a different yeah the time um, time life mysteries of the unknown is a classic that i think got into all of our heads when we were a kid really that's awesome i'm glad to hear someone else like know it you know Mm -hmm. that's awesome and uh so you just started being really interested in this 
Um, just as a kid, it was just something that really fascinated me. Um, and it was always just something kind of like I always liked. If I, every time I go to the library, I try to find a book like that. Um, anytime there was something on TV, I would always be fascinated by it. But my interest has really peaked, I would say, over the past couple of years. Um, and last summer, I just kind of, once I started writing the book, um, it just really just took off. And uh, once the book came out, you know, my interest really peaked. And I almost feel like at times, even though I have a lot of experience in journalism and I've been, you know, following this stuff forever, uh, I still feel almost like, you know, a rookie in the sure. field, if that makes any sense, just because... Like I say, even though, you know, I've read a lot, I've followed it my whole life, you know, this is just, you know, my first year actively um, pursuing uh, writing about it. Because um, previously, I mean, I was at the Houston Chronicle for years as a writer, web producer. Uh, I did some reporting and writing, uh, covered the music scene here um, nationally and locally. And I've covered some sports teams here, some games, everyone's awesome hockey games, um, but never really covering um, the topic of cryptozoology and UFOs and paranormal stuff. So you didn't get to be like Houston's UFO writer. And I figured with being called Space City, they got to have some UFO people at the Chronicle somewhere. Well, it was weird because um, when I was there uh, as a web producer, we took, I took on – we did this blog called Guy Stuff. And they knew I was really into you know, UFOs and stuff. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're doing – you're web producing, you're, ag- you're aggregating a lot of content. And I remember I tweeted something one day about uh, – or no, I'm sorry. Our, our space reporter, our science and space reporter tweeted something um, – about how there's a poll that majority of Americans believe in Bigfoot. And he kind of made some snarky comment towards that. We started going at it on Twitter, just, just friendly, you know, because we work in the same yeah. place. And uh, our one of our uh, bosses saw it and, and thought, hey, let's do something with this. So we actually debated uh, on, um, what was it called? Back in the, it was Google Hangout, I think. Or oh, yeah. For some reason, we didn't just video yeah, and upload it. And we tried to do a lot of a Google Hangout, and it was kind of a mess just because we had to reshoot it and it kept crashing. But the actual debate was really fun. That's yeah. the magic of Google Hangouts is that it, it was free, but it used to crash like every 15 minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I told him, like, why don't we just videotape and upload it to YouTube instead of like streaming it? Like, but whatever. <laughs> so, but that's awesome. And it, it's interesting. So, do, when you set up for a debate, and, you know, at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference last year, uh, there was a debate set up between a Roswell researcher and a, uh, a Roswell skeptic that we have, but they're both very into the UFO field. And so they had prepared their arguments and everything. So, what kind of research did you do to prepare defending the existence of our man, or our man, or our woman, Bigfoot? <laughs> Um, I remember I knew he was going to, you know, I know the guy, I know him, how he is and, you know, he's going to take it from a science perspective. I understood that. And I hit him with, uh, I mean, I looked up some, you know, facts and numbers, but my, my main selling point was, you know, the previous year I was like, they recently discovered the largest cave in the world, Brazil, that's been hiding, you know, been hiding there for years that was discovered. So I was like, you mean to tell me that something that large can go unnoticed? Of course there's species. We discover new species all the time. My whole argument was you can't discount uh, something. I mean, there's years of uh, whether whether it's it's folklore or whatever you want to call it. There's record of sightings and observations, and you know, uh, and one of the arguments was, well, you know, how come we don't have video? I mean, there's plenty of video clips, but I mean, one of the things I argue too is, you know, how many people if they witness Bigfoot, you think they're going to go up to him and just like, you know, right? Hey, hi, can I take a picture of you? Let's like, get a selfie with you Bigfoot. Know, or try to kill it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anytime, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. You don't see someone try to take a selfie with a bear in the forest. You know, <laughs> right. it, it's, it's a similar concept. So 
That was uh, that was kind of you know, one of my arguments I made. Well, that's awesome, and it's, it's awesome that you do it in the Houston Chronicle. And so that kind of in, inspired you then somewhat. Uh, it sounds like to get more into the field and start learning more and interviewing people and everything. So, what made you decide to use like the ethos and the attitude of punk rock and bringing it to cryptozoology? What was that moment where you're like, "Oh, this is totally something I can do"? Well, when I first started writing the book, I really didn't have a. Uh, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna say, you know, oh, I need to tie this to punk rock somehow. Um, that was never kind of the intended goal. Um, I always thought about my own belief systems and you know i was always really rebellious in terms of you know not like i was a bad kid or anything but in terms of what i believed and what i chose to believe and what i chose not to believe questioning authority yes exactly question authority and uh, it was funny you know when i started getting involved in journalism in college uh, one of my professors who ended up being my boss for a while too his mantra was question everything mm. so you know as a journalist you know you need to question everything and then you're know, growing up in punk rock you question authority so, it, it, you know, th- those two things were always kind of instilled in me, even like as a young kid, before I even heard about that stuff, that's how I always kind of thought. So when the book came around, I started thinking, you know, well, why? I asked myself, why? You know, why is this stuff, um, you know, why isn't it, you know, top story in the nightly news? And then I kind of used my journal, my experience in the journalism field to kind of answer that question. Um, and I also asked, you know, the question, well, why do we believe in this and not this? You know, why is it easy to believe that? You know, for some people, a God exists, but, you know, for, you know, UFOs can't. And right. it was just kind of asking that question. And I, I wasn't trying to, you know, uh, insult anyone's religious beliefs or anything like that. But it's just like, you know, look, you can't say, well, they, you know, I have no sound proof of UFOs. So I don't believe them, but I don't have sound proof of God either. You know, it just comes to faith and, you know, your process of belief, which you choose to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think right now, too, that people have a very... Um, I mean, it's easy to beat up on people of faith right now, too, and it's something that <laughs> happens fairly often. So you know, wherever people stand in the faith equation, a lot of times they can get really defensive about it. And so, yeah, true. And because a lot of times, you know, people are just straight up making fun of religious people and everything. And I'm not a religious guy myself, but I do know a lot of people who are. And it is a, that's an excellent question. Like, you're willing to take the leap of faith in a higher power, something that you haven't seen, but maybe have felt or had spiritual experiences. You know, what is the difference between that and believing in um, some of these more esoteric ideas, whether it be a, a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, UFOs, ghosts and spirits and things like that, or, you know, a lot of people believe in fairies. It took me a while to get that, <laughs> hey, man, fairies might be a thing, and it's not going to be like Tinkerbell or whatever, but... You know, those experiences also might be poltergeist experiences or UFO experiences just a thousand years ago. So I think that's a good point. You're bringing that into and it's not just when you question something and when you bring that attitude in there, it has to be, okay. you know, for some people, their belief in climate or, or, or whatever narrative they decide to go for might be as strong as some other guy's belief in UFOs, might be as strong as some other person's belief in God. And you have to be able to tear down all of the sacred cows if you're going to be able to, in, the, in a respectful way at least, in the end, if you're going to be able to find some semblance of truth for yourself. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head uh, right there. So when you first started getting into uh, doing this book and writing the blog and everything like that, what was your first step? You know, when you think of if somebody wants to go from uh, not being in the uh, weirdo field and then to stepping in it wholeheartedly (laughs) and getting into it, what was your first step in moving to start writing about some of these topics? 
Well, I just remember um, at that. So I teach full time during the year now. Okay. And I have I have the summer free, so it's a lot of free time. And uh, you know, you're tempted to go out every day and spend money and you know, do all those other things, or you do something productive. And I'm a very scheduled, routine guy. So I just one day I just started writing. Um, I had some stuff going on in my life that I wasn't happy with, and the writing has always been therapeutic for me growing up. So one day I just I just started writing a book, and uh, every day I would get up in the morning, write a little bit, go to the gym, come home, do some research, um, have some dinner, write a little bit, go to bed. And I pretty much did that, pretty much locked myself in my apartment for a few weeks. Um, I mean, I'll go out on the weekends, of course, you know, sure. leave, you know. but uh, in terms of, you know, my social life pretty much was uh, that book, um, the, the writing of the book. And it started off kind of one way and it, it just slowly transformed just very organically. Um, all my ideas for the chapter started flowing. I didn't sit down and say, all right, I'm going to do this chapter, this chapter, this chapter. I just started writing. And which is usually, you know, usually when you're writing something, especially, you know, if you're doing journalism, you usually kind of know who you're going to talk to, you know, um, what kind of quotes you're looking for. And then you go from there. In this mm-hmm. case, I, you know, I just started writing and then everything just kind of uh, took off from there. And it was really cool to see it. Like, you know, initially I was, I was trying to do one thing and then I was like, you know what, this book on its own, you know, I think it stands on its own without these other things I was initially going to try to do. Well, what were you, what were you initially going for? And I, I, first of all, I really love the idea. First of all, writing is therapy, and as someone that writes songs and things like that, like that's almost what you. I, I feel like you have to do is you have to figure out a way to express something yeah. that you're feeling, and it's like you got to get it out in some way, and that and that's how you process it, and that's how you get to move on to the next thing. And when you were originally working on the book. What, was it really broad or was it a completely different direction or belief system or what were you thinking about in the beginning and what caused you to, to move towards what it eventually became? Well, no, the only thing that uh, I wanted to do, I wanted to try to get to tie into the punk rock theme more mm-hmm. by getting some you know quotes from some people involved in punk rock or into the stuff. And I've interviewed some of these guys before, like uh, Tom Belange, I've interviewed before. Uh, it was always about music, though. I never talked to him about this stuff, which I'm kicking myself in the butt now because <laughs> he's a hard guy to get a hold of these days um, for obvious reasons. Right. And then, you know, uh, Greg Raffin from Bad Religion, uh, Milo from The Ascendants, who's, you know, who's a physicist. So, it's, you know, you have all these people in punk rock who I think would have made some good uh, contributions to it. But as I was writing, I was like, you know, the rebellious nature of the, you know, our process of belief and all these other themes I was exploring. I'm like, that's punk rock enough. I don't need to have these quotes from, you know, these people involved in punk rock world. It would have made it cool, but I was like, uh, ultimately, I was like, I think the book stood on its own without those. Sure. Well, I, and that's that's a cool thing. I mean, Tom DeLonge especially, and I'm interested in if you've read his Secret Machines or you've been following yeah. – a lot of what he's doing. And, you know, I get some people that I talk to and, and okay, for those of you guys out there who aren't um, maybe familiar with Tom DeLonge, he was the, one of the guitar players and lead singer, well, one of the lead singers in Blink-182, uh, which is a huge pop punk band at the end of the 20th century. And uh, they just, they did reform uh, with, was it Matt from Alkaline Trio, I think? But Tom is no yeah, longer, yeah, and Tom's no longer in the band, but instead, he's gone off and he formed a band called Angel and Airwaves uh, that dealt with a lot of these otherworldly subjects. And he's written books now about, um, well, uh, about the U.S. government's involved in aliens and Roswell and secret experiments and the whole thing. And so this is a famous punk rock guy that has now moved on to being a like fully into the world of UFOs and weirdness. And as someone who's followed him, I was just wondering... 
I have people thinking that he's uh, like being used by the CIA to spread misinformation, <laughs> and other people think that he's finally getting at the truth. Where where do you see him in this? Um, like I said, I've met Tom before multiple times. I interviewed him before, and uh, ultimately with this subject, I was never able to talk to him about the subject, and it's just really he's hard to get a hold of now. But uh, I, you know, I was never skeptical because I always knew he he knew his shit. I'm sorry, I just cussed, but uh, he <laughs> knew his right. stuff. Um, and uh, so I read the book, and when first when he announced the secret project, I, I was a little disappointed it was going to be uh, semi-fiction. It was going to be based on real-life experience, but it was going to be a fiction book, and I thought that was kind of downplaying the importance of what he was doing. Um, the last book he wrote, which is the the New Secret Machines one, uh, that one is is basically uh, it's all nonfiction, and it's written it's co-written by Peter Olvenda, who after reading the book he pretty much you tell who writes what. Um, and Peter Olvenda is a very well respected name in the uh, UFO industry, uh, and um, basically you know the book is a good introduction of kind of what you know Tom's aiming to do. Um, if you you know if you read uh, there might be giants if you ever heard of that book, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, giants walked upon the earth if you were at that or you know the ancient alien theories it pretty much takes that and digs a little bit deeper and it's a little, looks at it at a with a little slightly more skeptical eye mm-hmm. and you know there's something called the the theory of the, the cargo cult um which a lot of, you know basically if you think about uh any culture right that doesn't have any prior experience so you're on an island you don't know what a plane is then you see a plane for the first time. You don't know what a plane is, so you associate that with you know a flying ge- demon or a god. Right. So the whole book kind of looks like cargo culture. And Tom's promised a lot of things, and the book really doesn't cash in on all of them, but it teases to a lot of stuff. Like one of the things that really stood out in that book is Tom's talking about. You know, he's talking with a high-ranking official in the military, and one of the things they told him was um, dig deeper in terms of Greek mythology and Greek alphabet, which I thought was extremely fascinating. Um, so I'm hoping the, the the next two books will reveal a little bit more of what he's learned. That's an interesting thought too. The like the, I I hadn't heard that yet, but the uh, the the Mount Olympus aliens, I guess, is what we're going to be working with. And <laughs> I think it's really interesting though, like that he really has made it his mission now in to like exposing or whatever you know conspiracies and things. And and of course he got into. Uh, he was part of the election last year when yeah. <laughs> his his email to John Podesta, uh, you know, shows up in the WikiLeaks, and you're like, because John Podesta, okay, so if you guys don't know out there in in podcast land, John Podesta was Bill Clinton's former chief of staff, and he was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, and he's a huge X Files fan, and you figure that a guy like John Podesta, right, who has access to the most powerful people on the planet, would have like they would have clued him in on the UFO thing, right? Mm. But it seems like they, you know, that he's still looking or he's still really interested. And Tom DeLong emailed him, and it really was a funny thing last year in the middle of all the election kerfluffle, and <laughs> Donald Trump and reality TV and Tom DeLong from Blink One Eighty Two shows up, and you're like, oh man, you know, this is a cir- <laughs> this is a circus now. That's funny. Well, Job Ness has always also been uh, highly interested in the subject of UFOs. I never knew he was an X Files fan. I just knew. Uh, you know, the real study of UFOs he was really into. And there's a lot of other high-ranking government officials that have came out through the years. Uh, Paul uh, uh, Hillier, I think you pronounced his name. He's a, uh, he's a former Canadian um, official. He oh, straight yeah. up said, yes, they, yeah, he says, yes, they exist. They've been here. There's multiple um, There's multiple races that visit the Earth. And he said stuff that a lot of other people have said. Like, 
uh, Tom Lodge has even hit, and other people have hinted at this uh, idea that there's an alien, there's a war going on uh, in the universe, and uh, you know some people have been saying that for years that there's been you know wars going on in the universe just through you know different uh, you know species and mm-hmm. um, you know if you go back to some of the uh, some of the studies of other religions like Hinduism and uh, I mean it makes note to that and a lot of it it's saying a lot of these wars are fought on Earth. Um, years ago, like some of the things that are described, the the way they look, um, how they move, you know, these people had no prior knowledge of aviation or anything. And to hear about these, you know, these bell-shaped objects f- shooting fire at each other in the sky, you know, reading that in historical and religious texts is, you know, that enough is reason to think, hmm, maybe there's something here, you know? Absolutely. Well, the ancient aliens and Eric Von Daniken yeah. and the chariots of the gods and, and that stuff is great. So I'm, I'm I'm good. I haven't been had a chance to read Secret Machines yet, so it's, it's on my list, and I know I got to spend time, and I got to spend more time with Tom Delonge and figure out if he's cr- <laughs> figure out how crazy he is, because it might just be <laughs> crazy enough to be real. You know, one per- one person you mentioned that we always love here because uh, he went to school in Madison for a long time is Milo from The Descendants. Uh, he did. Yes. And wow, so- I, I know I know Greg Graffin's from Wisconsin originally too. Mm-hmm. And so I, he he's not from Wisconsin, but he went to he was here at university for a long time. Um, oh wow! When he was finishing up his uh, higher, you know, like his higher education, like his I don't know if he's got a PhD. Uh, I think he does, and he, uh, for the record, he believes in UFOs. I interviewed him um, at Sound by Sound Festival in Austin in October, I think it was, or no, it was a few months ago. And I asked him just out of curiosity, just in case I ever wanted to do something else, you know, punk rock and UFOs, and he believes. Oh man, that's great! We had him on our uh, we had a public access cable TV show in college nice. or whatever, and we had him come out and sing a song and things like that. And he, I mean, he's the nicest guy on the planet, number one. Yeah. But, but I didn't even think about it back then. We could have been talking about UFOs. <laughs> Would have blown my nineteen-year-old mind, right? <laughs> and that's awesome because he's somebody who obviously not just the well. It's funny because doesn't one of the guys from Blink One Eighty Two have a Descendants tattoo, like the cover of Milo Goes to College on their uh, like, tank? Uh, yeah, Travis Barker does, yeah. Yeah, on the ankle or something? Yeah, I mean, the sentence pretty much influenced Blink and pretty much every pop-punk band out of the 90s, for sure. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, like, underground kind of bands, like, they're always, I mean, everybody who's into punk rock knows about them, but they never had the, you know, platinum or gold status of a band like Blink or Green Day or anything. And the fact that they're still kicking around is always, always makes me feel good. <laughs> that you can, oh, well. you can still do it. Yeah, no, I mean they don't they don't get off the couch for anything less than a hundred thousand per show. So um, that's what I've heard. Wow, awesome! So they're they're doing really well now. <laughs> yeah, they turned it all around. Okay, yeah. well, that, I mean, that, their their songs are so great. And well, I could fanboy about those bands all the time. But Same here. Uh, okay, so let's get back to what you were talking about a little bit when you were uh, talking about how the shape of your book kind of came out and the shape of your research came out. So when you came into you like. You're thinking less about punk rock as a, you know, getting quotes from just guys who are in bands and, and, you know, that and musicians and more about, you know, finding ways to question authority and everything. Um, What was the first topic that you really approached where you maybe were a newbie to it or you hadn't like really known much about it before so that when you uh, started learning about it, when you were researching the book, is there anything you got really excited about that you hadn't known about before when you were writing? 
Uh, that's a good question. Okay, so one of the things where uh, I thought it was a really fascinating chapter, it's called Rethinking Our Own Memories and Cognitive Behavior. And I really kind of uh, looked into kind of a more psychological aspect of, you know, what we choose to remember, what we choose to block out. Because a lot of people who've experienced uh, abductions or uh, sightings, a lot of times they, you know, they, they kind of say very similar, similar things um, where they feel like, you know, they, they've these, these beings have been with them their whole life. Um, a lot of times through hypnosis, you know, other methods, you're able to learn more, um, you know, about these these gaps lost in time that are unanswered. Um, so it's, you know, kind of, the, you know, you ever have that dream where, you, you know, felt real? Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't. Yeah. So that's another thing I kind of looked into as well as uh, how memories are, or, you know, how we, we, you know, some certain memories are repressed due to traumas. Or any emotional uh, memory, and uh, a lot of that comes from reading *Communion* um, mm. by uh, Willis Schreiber. When I read that, that's, I mean, it's probably one of the first UFO books I read. And that really got me thinking, like that part where he mentions, you know, that a lot of you know through hypnosis, he was able to bring back these memories that were uh, repressed somehow, and that really kind of got me thinking about, um, you know, um, our own, you know, what we choose to remember in our own consciousness. And I have a whole uh, chapter in the book about that. How old were you when you read Communion the first time? Oh, yeah. So I was re- I was probably in college. Or no, I was just out of college, which is weird because even though uh, that's one of my favorite books, I read it late. You know, I read it late in life, I sure. think. Uh, I remember um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, her mom got me the book because she knew I was into that stuff. And uh, I just remember the cover. And it was, you know, it was one of the older versions of it and it just had this alien on just staring at me and I turned looking and I was like wow that's accurate <laughs> like right. you know what I mean? it just looked really there's something about it that looked really cool and I just remember I cannot put that book down and I lost my original version and I've of course you know replaced it mm-hmm. but uh when, when I replaced it a couple of summers ago I reread it again and I think that kind of helped me uh inspire me to write uh my own book as well just because you know sometimes when you you read something or a movie or hear a song and you spend a while, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, you know, I really like that. But then when you actually revisit it, like it brings back a lot of good feelings. And when I revisit that book, I was just kind of like, Oh shit. Like, why didn't I, why did I forget about how great this book was? Um, so that really kind of got the gears turning. Yeah. And it works on separate levels. You know, I think that one of the reasons that it was such a big hit, especially because I mean, we always, when we talk about communion on the show, we're always talking about how no work made uh, more popular the idea of the almond-shaped gray aliens than the cover of Communion being on every grocery store checkout line in the country. Yeah, and the fact that it was it was so successful, too. And I remember myself, you know, it blew my mind. I had one, I had a, a sleep paralysis experience, like, within a week of reading it. It freaked me out. That's awesome. <laughs> I, knew, I mean, I knew what it was. I knew it wasn't aliens. But, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, you know, like 12 years old, and I'm sitting there thinking that when I see, like, lights backing up into the driveway, and it's against my bedroom wall, that, oh, they're here. And... <laughs> As a kid, but I think we talk about that book, and you talk about the idea of the repressed memories, and mm-hmm. like he sees the owl, and the owl is like yeah. the animal that brink that like breaks out. Uh, he starts remembering things once he sees that the, the owl. That's an area of research, and also I think an area of the world that we're talking about that just isn't explored enough. Um, the idea that your memories might not be real, that you could be repressing things, or that somebody's repressing those things for you. Exactly. I think that's absolutely fascinating. That's a good point. That's someone or something else or 
uh, is repressing them because you know we there's so much of our mind and how it works that we don't know. Well, in your research now, this is something I was thinking about actually yesterday when I was working on our our previous episode of the show. Um, I was looking over uh, Kurt Russell was interviewed a couple weeks ago when he's promoting Guardians of the Galaxy two, and he talks about being in the he was flying his plane to you know drop his son off in Phoenix. And he was the pilot that reported the Phoenix Lights. Really? I knew he, he started something, but I never read a further into it. Wow, that's fascinating. He just did the first interview about it or whatever a couple weeks ago on the BBC. And you're like, oh, my God, Kurt Russell, awesome. But <laughs> what I thought was interesting was that he goes, you know, I didn't even think about it again. And then I saw Goldie Hawn, his uh, girlfriend or his companion. She's watching a TV show on UFOs, and they talk about the Phoenix Lights. And he, like, walks in the room, and he goes, oh, yeah, I saw those. And he thought it was weird that he did not think about it again from the first time he saw it till he saw that TV show years later. Wow. Yes. Something something that big. Wow. Right. <laughs> so I completely just like, oh, you know, I just don't think about it again. And, you know, <laughs> if I saw a UFO, I'd be telling this. I mean, I saw whatever. I've seen a few weird things in my life and I have no expectation for them. But I tell those stories a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. Especially something that big and you know, well-known. <laughs> right. So when you were talking about the repressive memories, he said he, that, that what he thought was the weirdest thing was that he'd never thought of it again, and it never even occurred to him. And I was just wondering, in, in your research, did you find where people, where they were forced to forget? It wasn't just their mind kind of hiding a trauma, but maybe abductions or sightings or anything like that, they were kind of, you know, it seemed like they were influenced by something outside of themselves to forget. Well, in my research, you know, a lot of it was like the book asks a lot of questions rather than it gives answers. Um, so I, I spoke to a few people, not people who are abducted, people who, who just witnessed stuff. Um, and there's no really repressed memories or anything like that. But okay. one thing I found fascinating was um, in my own research, uh, you know, I was just so um, involved, buried in, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the, the topic. I remember one night um, I was trying to sleep and I felt, you know, you know, um, and I, there's a whole book about, you know, about dreams and, um, you know, different stages of sleep and how that affects us. And I think I was in like the REM stage of sleep and I felt like there was a presence in my apartment mm-hmm. and I was terrified. I keep telling myself, no, I'm not ready. Like, you know, and it felt like there's like aliens here. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, is, did that really happen? Or is it the fact that, I've been reading and watching this stuff 24 seven and it's on my mind, you know? So that was, you know, a big uh, revelation for me when I was working on the book. It's like, you know, I knew they weren't, there's nothing here. I remember, you know, that I woke up, you know, kind of spooked. I looked around my apartment, you know, but I was just like, wow, you know, I just, like I said, I buried myself in this material so much. It, you know, it overtook, um, you know, kind of my, my thoughts and my subconsciousness where I actually felt like one night, like there's an alien presence, which is kind of crazy, but I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah, well, you start you start getting into it so much that uh, you know, are you paranoid or do the aliens know what you're doing? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So, as you were working on the book, how did you find people to interview? You know, I, I always wonder about this. 
we haven't worked on a book yet. We mostly just, you know, I, I find people who I think look interesting and, mm-hmm. and Wendy, my co-host and I, and my sister, Allison, we all look in and, and we all look for uh, interesting people we know or we've heard of, we read their books and we try to, you know, bring them on the show and talk to them. But we haven't like searched out, like say, like put up a classified ad, like have you yeah. felt the anal probe kind of thing? <laughs> um, well, I there's very few people I actually interviewed for the book, and a lot those are bonus chapters too. Those are just some very fascinating um, sightings that I wanted to feature just as bonus. Um, but there's people I've talked to like after the fact, and that uh, I, you know I just launched the website punkrockandufos.com a couple months ago, and um, the goal of that website is to kind of uh, you know be a, a cryptozoology site that also blends culture as well. And I always tell people think axum but not objectifying. <laughs> Right. So people I've sought out to interview have all been, you know, there's something cool about them. Um, a friend, someone who I became internet friends with, uh, a guy named Brian Sprague. Um, he's an author. Oh, yeah. No, uh, he, he's been on our show before. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah. He's great. He's awesome. And he's someone who I, I think he was the, the the first feature I did was on him. Um, the first story I did, I did a review of Secret Machines. The first feature I did was on Ryan just because he's somebody who he's, he's a young person in the field. And he has so much great energy. And I loved his book. So he's the first person I want to feature. And recently, uh, I got uh, Aaron Ryder from Destination Truth. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I read that. That was a good interview. Oh, thank you. And, yeah, she was amazing. Uh, she was super gung-ho to help out. And um, so I'm kind of thinking, like, I'm, I already have a bunch of ideas that what I want to do next. And it's, you know, it's it's still going to be rooted in, you know, traditional journalism. But I kind of want to, you know, do stories that blend cryptozoology and culture uh, as well. Like, there's... A friend of mine used to be on that show, um, Face Off, where they do like monster makeup. Oh yeah, that was a great sci-fi show. Yeah, and uh, she did like a Sasquatch and a few aliens, and I was like, look, that'd be maybe a cool feature just to see, you know, what you use for reference and as well. So like, those are some other like the ideas I'm playing with to do with the website. Um, eventually, I want to get big enough where I can interview some other people as well. But everyone I've reached out to has been really cool, and um, yeah, really supportive. So it's kind of cool to have that outlet. Um, to kind of still do something cryptozoology related, but now I have a website and I have an, an outlet for it as well, as opposed to just you know putting out another book. Right, and I think the, the the websites are fun too because it lets you constantly keep putting stuff out there every day. Like if you know, it's like somebody who's in the field who's constantly writing is Nick Redfern. Yeah, and Nick's a Texas guy too. He's up in Dallas. And, uh, well, he's not, I mean, he's not a Texas guy. He's an English guy, but he has an accent, (laughs) but he lives in Dallas. But the thing is, he's always writing stuff in between books. So I feel like I'm reading something new from Nick Redfern, like at least one or two books a year. And if not like one or two articles a month and keeping yourself completely enmeshed in that, uh, is a great way to, I think, get further in the field faster. And having a book starting out is great too, because then you got something to do when you go to conferences. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess I, I still feel like I'm getting my feet wet in this field. Um, so it's really cool to like the people I've talked to so far and people who want to put me in contact with other people have been, you know, uh, you know, fans of the book or fans of the website. And for me, like that's I, I kind of geek out over that. It's kind of cool um, just because, you know, when I was covering music at the Chronicle, every once in a while someone come up to me and be like, oh, I read your blog you do for them or I read that story. I'm like, oh, wow, that's like really cool. Like I always thought that was uh, you know, it was always a pleasant surprise when you hear stuff like that. So for me to kind of jump in this field, you know, as a relative, like I said, relatively new name, um, you know, I kind of want to make a bigger name, of course, but you know, you know, things start off small and I think punk rock and UFOs, the website right now, it's small, but it's cool. You know, you want to keep it that way. And, 
Uh, I just want to see where it could where it could go from there. You know, we have merchandise, we have a few other little cool things, but you know, th- that's what it, you know. That's a fun thing about doing something, um, starting you know a project is just seeing how it grows or, or how it can grow and where it goes from there, and that's that's kind of the challenge too. And what kind of directions you find? So one thing when you were doing your research and working on the book, was there anything in particular that you were like, I'm sure that this was true? Or is it, was there a truism in your head or something that you believed that as you wrote the book, it kind of twisted you around and you're like, oh man, I totally believed in that. And no way is that, I mean, that's total crap. Or the opposite where you, you know, thought something was total crap. And then by the end of it, you're like, I am, uh, hey, you know, take me to church. Well, when I was researching, uh, you know, I, I was able to come up with some theories I never had before. Um, I was reading, I forgot exactly how I came across this, but um, there was a doctor, uh, I forgot his name, I think Robert Lanza maybe, and uh, he was a, one, of the, one of the most well-known doctors in New York and most respected in this field, and he has this theory that our consciousness, uh, it goes with us when we die. Um, you know, our soul, quote-unquote soul, is really our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sparked something in me, and I started thinking. You know, I was, you know, people who have near-death experiences or, um, you know, witness UFOs, they all have a very similar feeling of, you know, whether an angel or a family. You know, they hear these voices, they see a light, they all have that similar experience. And you know, whether it's something, you know, uh, related to our brain and you know, chemicals released, um, or if it's a real thing, are those really fascinating? So I thought, you know, there's a, there's just a theory, but you know, what if you know our soul um, or consciousness? What if you know, when we die, it goes to another place, which, which we can't physically go to in our human form. You know, what if these other galaxies, these universes that we can't visit, that somehow other, you know, the aliens are there? You know, what if for some reason that's heaven? You know, not heaven in the biblical sense, but, right. you know, what if that's where our consciousness goes? And, you know, what if, you know, you even go take it a step further saying, you know, what if aliens are in some way angels? You know, because you've described how they look over us and a lot of experiences are angelic. Um, and I, I know on the surface, it sounds kind of like kind of weird or crazy, but like I said, it's, it's just a, a theory. Well, that's Willie Strieber in um, his third book, I believe. I think the third book is Transformation. Mm. He kind of brings that into it as well as ali- okay. aliens, as uh, shepherds for our consciousness to move to the other side. So where I thought you were going with this, and I've read this before, is that what people are happening in near-death experiences or the bliss they feel sometimes when they get really close to death is the same thing that when people take uh, GHB. Yes, uh, I mentioned that in the book too. And so that you get that, you know, your your brain is flooded with these chemicals that give you this pleasant experience instead of a terrifying experience right mm. before you die. And somehow that these get released in people sometimes, either when they're, you know, high on GHB or it could be just a random, you know, chemical release or in a very stressful situation or near-death experience. And so what's happening is that you're not necessarily having a real experience. You're just having a psychedelic experience that's created by your own brain. But at the same time, I like that better than, you know, if you look at the strict atheist interpretation, it's like, well, what happens when you die? Well, that's it. You know, it just goes, yeah. to, it just goes to black or you go to, you know, or the Egyptian or the, the Hebraic or anything like that. No, what's going to happen is you're going to go up before somebody and that person is going to judge you. It's like, oh my God, all my life I've been worried about people are going to judge me and they're just going to do it. In <laughs> but then the idea that, no, your body actually makes it pleasant when you're on your way out. I was like, oh. That's, that's kind of a nice thing. But what if those chemicals are important in helping our consciousness move? You know, and we, we get a, a glimpse of that when we're, you know, 
doing psychedelics or something. But like those chemicals are like what is, is the trigger for moving to the next level. And, uh, yeah, no, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating too. You know, so, so that, that's kind of where I thought you were going, but I mean, I love the idea that, you know, maybe that's since you can't travel, like physics says right now, you can't travel faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some wavelength or some level where, well, since consciousness doesn't have physicality, it can travel and it's going wherever the aliens go. And that might be somewhere, well, more pleasant. Yeah, for sure. Or more pleasant than Wisconsin in winter, um, at least. At least <laughs> or, or I would Houston, hope. Or Houston uh, all year. <laughs> it gets hot. It yeah. does get hot down there. Awesome. So when you're working on the book, like for people who might be interested in picking it up and learning more, what are all the topics that you hit in punk rock and UFOs? All right. So uh, we start off with um, introduction to the unknown. Unknown. I'm sorry. That's uh, basically how I got um, interested in the topic and a little bit about my history. Uh, talks about argumentative reality in terms of um, what we, you know, choose to, you know, what we choose to believe and why we argue uh, some things as uh, um, constants, right? And while other things, uh, why we have to be the one to kind of uh, push and navigate what is real, what isn't, and want to investigate how we have to kind of. Um, that's kind of the call to action of the book. We need to be the ones who research this stuff because it's not going to fall in our lap. Give me a quick example of that. Um, let me actually just read. Maybe I can read a little passage if that's cool. Please do. Um, let's see. All right, here we go. Uh, there are realities out there that aren't accepted by some and aren't mainstream. There are realities and universes beyond our scope of discovery and com- comprehension. Just thinking about the vast possibilities as an escape from ourselves and the vanilla world we live in. Why can't we dream about the wonders of science, the undiscovered frontier of space, the depths of the oceans, and ultimately the depths of our own soul and cognition? So why can't we dream a little? Why can't we hope for more than just what the government discloses and what the nightly news broadcasts? Why can't we dig deeper and, wa- and want to dig deeper? Um, and that, that last line, and want to dig deeper, is a thing. I think there's not enough people who care enough to want to know the truths about um, the universe or their own life or anything. That's a really great – I love that idea that like – the digging deeper and also what separates us as maybe a species or as sentient or all those kind of things. Because we're worried about, like, we're sitting here talking about, well, what happens, like, when the GHB flies into our brain when we die? The fact that we wonder about those things <laughs> or we wonder what's on the surface of the ocean, even though we can't physically live there without technological help or space, the same thing. Like, what's out there? What happens? And that seems, um, so I like that. So, argumentative reality is almost. You know that's part of the human condition that we have to we have to figure out the world like that seems to be our evolutionary I hate to say destiny or anything but it seems to be part of our evolutionary purpose to question and see what's out there. Yeah, for, I definitely think that's definitely like you said part of the process, but I don't think we do it enough just because you know I mean our priorities as a I would say as humans are, are off, you know, uh, we argue, we fight about the wrong stuff. Um, we, you know, we're easily distracted you know, we're, we're pacified by, you know, pop culture and, uh, other things. Um, we stab people over pieces of paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, we go to war over rocks. We kill each other over, <laughs> over rocks and land. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy how, you know, like we need an alien intervention. If, you know, that was ever to happen, we need it, you know, like, you know, I hope they come down before we nuke, you know, 
we all nuke each other to death, but right before somebody hits the button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so keep going on the book. I just want to okay. keep saying like, so what people can explore and uh, what they can learn by picking up punk rock and UFOs. Um, don't hate the media, become the media. Um, that's a quote from Joe Obiafa from the dead Kennedys. And I kind of took that. And, um, I just, you know, I, I choose my experience in the media, just explaining, look, this is why certain things are covered. And this is why certain things are played this way. And a lot of people don't understand how the media works in general. And it just, it's just crazy. Cause you always hear people talking negatively about the media. And I have my own criticisms too, but like, I've been there. I know there's not some secret, um, you know, plan to screw you over in the story you want to hear. No, I know how it works. I know, it's it's a very uh, business driven industry. It's very ad driven industry, and you know you have to play certain things that are going to get you the clicks and the hits and the the ratings and you know sell papers. So I you know that's something explained as well. Um, I have my own th- theory, which we kind of discussed earlier. Uh, vulnerability in our sleep, um, which we kind of touched on. Uh, wormholes and triangles. Um, it just talks about uh, the possibilities of different universes. And when I was a kid, we uh, we took a family cruise to Bermuda and we passed through the Bermuda Triangle, not through it, obviously, around it. Uh, right. And I kind of uh, I kind of mentioned that experience as well. Um, rethinking our own memories, cognitive behavior, which I talked about. A conclusion. Then I have a bunch of bonus chapters. Um, so like when I when I first came up with a book, I wanted to kind of make like like some cool type of like coffee table book, like something you could buy at like Urban Outfitters. So I wanted to do like a uh, glossary of cryptozoology 101 so people are just into this stuff you know they learn you know what is you know what is a cryptid what is all this stuff so that's in the back um uh, i have a playlist of like songs to listen to that are about you know ufos cryptozoology oh, okay hold on we we got to get a couple of those songs from a playlist so okay uh give me the top three in the playlist uh let me pull it up yeah um, please do well, top top three in terms of the best will come first. Oh, maybe your favorites are the ones that strike you the most because in our news okay. in our newsletter every week uh, that comes out on Friday mornings, which you all can subscribe to if you haven't yet at othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe, we pick a song about the paranormal. Awesome. Well, uh, for me, Aliens Exist, Blink-182. Oh, that's, um, that's a classic. Obviously, it's going to be on there. Um, I remember the first time I heard that song, I was like, wow, my favorite band is in this stuff too. Like, how cool is that? Um there's actually a hip hop song in here called Nas uh, by Nas. We're not alone, oh. which is really cool. It's uh, it's really cool to hear uh, you know such a smart rapper like Nas rap about that. When you hear it, it's very um, like beautiful and poetic. It's not like just saying you know UFOs and you know it, it's very artistic in the way it uh, approaches the subject of us not being alone out there. So that's something I would recommend, especially if you've never heard it before. I think that'd be great to listen to. Um, what else is on here? And then, oh, so this is another kind of, this one's another one kind of out of left field. Uh, it's called The Wormhole Express mm. by a guy named Carrie Judd. Um, he is an like, indie singer-songwriter. He's a friend of mine. Uh, now he just kind of produces. And for a while, like, he was, like, on some, like, like Old Navy would play his music. He never really got big. He's big in the Midwest. But I always thought he should have been big. Um, and he has a song called The Wormhole Express. And it's just really kind of this trippy, cool, like, dance song. But like, you know, it, in a lot of his songs, you know, he references stuff about universes and wormholes and space. And, uh, you know, he does a really good job of, um, you know, if, he, if you're savvy to this stuff, you'll pick up on it in his, awesome. in his song. One of them I put on there, too. So I gave you two songs that are kind of under the radar and one that a lot of people know of. 
That sounds good to me. All those songs, we'll put links to them in the show notes, uh, othersidepodcast.com slash 143. And we'll, of course, also have a brand new Sunspot song this week, inspired by our conversation or this week's topic, as we do. So I'm excited to listen to those two new songs that I haven't heard before. And especially if there's a guy out of the Midwest, that means I have a chance I can probably go see him sometime. And Yeah, uh, sure. I like that, too. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you did the playlist, the, uh, the Crypto 101. You said a coffee table book. So did you put a lot of art into it? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. So I wanted to kind of be that way. Um, it's, it didn't quite land, you know, the way I envisioned in terms of like a coffee table style just because of cost and everything. But, sure. uh, the, the art in the book is by a tattoo artist. And I remember, uh, he, I knew him for years. He played in the band with some of my friends and, uh, he tattooed me before prior. And I just remember going through his flash art and he does so much cool, uh, UFO designs and the cover of the book is actually one of his, um, one of his uh, tattoos. And I just remember thinking, oh. I was like, you know what? He, I have all this art that's already done. He doesn't have to come out of commission or anything. And I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, because he's a you know big fan of the subject too. And he was down. I mean, I paid him uh, some money, you know, to be able to use it, but sure. I didn't have to commission any new art. So it ended up being really cost effective. And just this stuff is really cool and creative. Um, and if you go through, I mean, there, there's just a few pictures in the book, but uh, they're his artwork. His name is Alex Satina. Okay, and we'll uh, you know we'll have the cover and a link to the book and stuff like that in the show notes. And what I love there is that we were just talking. I mean, we talk about the punk rock ethos, which was really is you know DIY, and a lot of you know punk. If they weren't going to get distributed by major labels and people weren't going to you know the underground movement where you had to look for the music to hear it and you weren't just going to get it on the radio and everything it was just about going in and do it yourself. And so I love to hear it's like, well, my buddy just had all these sweet UFO drawings. How perfect. <laughs> and even better, they were tats. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great way to kind of describe, you know, the whole DIY thing. I didn't really think about that. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, you know, it kind of went with the theme really well. It just kind of, I remember when yeah, he was a really busy guy. So when I was like, hey, man, uh, I have something I want to propose to you. You want to get dinner? And when we did, he was he was down. He was like, yeah, for sure, definitely. And uh, I thought that was, you know, I think that was, it's really, it kind of adds to the theme as well, the, the, the tattoo art in there. Awesome. So what's next for uh, Punk Rock and UFOs? You got the book out that people can check out. You got a blog that they can check out. What's the next kind of topic that you're looking to explore and delve into uh, where you think you can make a good impact? Um, so over spring break, because like I said, I teach. Right. Um, this is a very, very similar situation where I had some stuff going on, but I don't know, like a bad breakup and I just need a distraction. So I just started writing. Oh, yeah. And I wrote I wrote a fiction book. I wrote a book about Bigfoot, a fiction book, a fictional story about Bigfoot that is just three chapters away. I just have to add some, you know, bonus stuff. Uh, and I'm going to start shopping it. The goal is this summer. I have uh, to try to get that published. Um, I've talked to a few people about it, but I, I'm sure I just really need to hit the ground running and try to, like, I want to use a different publisher this time. And cause I, I feel like punk rock and UFOs never, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, recognition I got from it was basically just word of mouth or just sure. you know, my, my promotion. Um, Stuff you did yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it's just fascinating, just the, the power of like people don't understand. Like I had two people, like legit production companies find me, uh, interview me about possibly hosting a show and never, none of it ever um, materialized in anything. But just that when, just that opportunity, just from having a book with like a catchy title, I guess, and these people actually like looked me up and like found out more about me, looked at my Twitter and they're like, you'd be perfect for this. And I was like, wow, like 
So the uh, obviously, you know, get, get the publishing world opens up opportunities as well. Um, awesome. So I have other books, uh, some fiction, nonfiction ideas. Uh, some things are almost done as well that I really need to kind of work on as well this summer. But I'd love to keep continuing um, writing about this topic and possibly doing another uh, book, uh, nonfiction book geared towards cryptozoology one day. Well, what, just to tease everybody, are you allowed or is it okay to tease the, the working title of your Bigfoot book? Oh, I've, I don't even have a oh, – they're, they're awful. Um, <laughs> That's a, we're not going to judge you. Well, the one that okay, – so the, the one that I go back to, but it's so cheesy. No sweat. It's called Finding, Finding Bigfoot and Myself. And it sounds like some cheesy self, self-help book. Like Oprah uh, – but I don't know. I think that's a cool. And you're also using the the value of the Finding Bigfoot name itself. Yeah, it's it's true. And uh, it's like every time I read, I'm like, God, that's so corny. But it's like it goes with the book. And I'm like, I have some other ideas I'm kicking around, and none of them are really good. So that may that's probably the working title right now. And I kind of call it that. I think it's just kind of funny because it just said, you know. But um, when you read the book, you kind of get it. Um, sure. Kind of the you know kind of goes with it but i'm just kind of i kind of cringe at it there's some things where it's not bad but i'm just like oh it's kind of corny and it's like are people gonna take this seriously but i didn't think people were gonna take punk rock and ufos seriously but just the fact that the title is such a conversation starter uh has done has done me wonders because i think if I, if I just named the book um i don't know uh cryptozoology and stuff or whatever i don't think it would garner the attention it did so i think having a interesting title uh, is key. So I think I have to go back to the drawing board with the Bigfoot fiction book. Well, and, and finding something that, that gets people's imagination going, and, and that's the punk rock and UFOs, anarchy and cryptozoology. Mm. <laughs> you just take the things that aren't you know normally put together. I mean, people put punk rock and anarchy together, obviously, sex pistols and you know uh-huh. the A symbol and everything over the years that's been so integral uh, to the punk rock scene. And... Uh, it's and UFOs and crypto obviously go together too. So it's 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 those dichotomies thing when you take two opposites or two non-related things and slap them together. A lot of times, uh, people are just like, well, you know what? Tell me more. It's like punk rock and UFOs is its own elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, you're like because when she's like, huh? Okay, tell me more about that. So, and if you guys want to learn more about punk rock and UFOs, you can go to. Uh, what is your website and where is the place where people can find you, find the book, and they can read your blog and check out to see what you're doing? Um, punkrockandufos.com. Uh, we have links to buy the book. Uh, we have merch up. Um, we have some really cool creative designs. That I, I mean, I'm not good with Photoshop. I just kind of had ideas and I had some friends really help me out. Um, uh, that's on there. We have about myself. You can buy the book. Um, but, you know, the big selling point to the website, it's not just to host something to buy a book or buy merchandise. It's, it's the blog and the stories we're going to be doing regard, uh, regarding cryptozoology and culture. Uh, and, you know, we just have a lot of uh, really cool things coming. And then on Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, it's me, uh, at Mike DeMonte. Okay. Um, yeah, so those are the best ways to get a hold and follow myself for Punk Rock and UFOs. So please check that out and to, uh, to learn more about if you just if you want to be lazy and just click on the links, othersidepodcast.com slash 143, and you can go find all that stuff about Mike DeMonte. Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. We had an awesome time. Oh, no, thank you. This was an absolute blast. It's probably one of my, one of my favorite podcast interviews I've done. Awesome.
So if you enjoyed the stuff that Mike was talking about, make sure to visit his blog, you know, uh, punkrockandufos.com. And if you have a favorite UFO or supernatural or paranormal punk rock song, and you can even pick the, uh, the Misfits, it's perfectly fine to pick the Misfits because you can pick any one of their songs. <laughs> right. As paranormal influence, or even what I love about the Misfits too, and I, I feel like they should almost get their own episode, is that one of their first songs, Who Killed Marilyn, is like a conspiracy song too. So the Misfits would talk about uh, 50s sci fi movies and conspiracies and everything. So if you have a favorite punk rock, supernatural, UFO, ghost song, send it to us on. Yeah, we want to know. On the tweets. And we'll feature it in our newsletter that comes out every Friday. And you can check out our newsletter, othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe, where we feature five paranormal stories. And what else do we talk about, When We also talk about a paranormal song. That's right. <laughs> but going back to the Twitter, you can tweet us at Other Side Talk, or I'm at Sunspot Wendy. And I'm at Sunspot Mike. And you can check that out. So for this week's song, the funny thing is it's not a particularly a punk rock song. Yeah, I know. Punk rock and UFOs, and we didn't do it. Like, we have plenty of punk songs, and we didn't go for it. For shame. But the thing was, uh, we started working on it, and working on some punk rock ideas, and then worked into a ska riff. And it was like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like the fast reggae thing, ska. And then the song just kind of developed from there, and then it didn't feel like it should be a punk rock song. Sometimes that happens. The song takes on its own life. Yeah. So this particular song uh, was inspired by just the idea of punk rock and UFOs and talking to Mike and the idea that we were going to talk to Mike. And it was supposed to be a a hardcore punk song and ended up being kind of an acoustic Scottish-y song. And uh, this one is called Stories in the Dark. When we walked among the headstones on that August new moon night That marble might have been cold, but we raised the Fahrenheit And a summer is forever with not many on your belt But you know when the hurting hits, yeah the hurting hits like hell And you know when the hurting hits, well the hurting hits like hell There's no point in saying sorry for these 20 years gone past No statute of limitations for acting like a jackass Time is always the best healer Distance makes things much more clear Even picking at a scab feels good just in the rearview mirror These ghost stories in the dark, oh my dear You are always game Stronger than I gave you credit for But crazy just the same Tall tales that we tell ourselves To their damnedest to dull the pain And you know every broken heart Comes with a story Best told in the dark Comes with a story Best told in the dark Mystery by every corner It didn't matter what we saw It wasn't what we got that made you hot It was the quest that burned us raw Being on a pedestal just ain't easy as it would seem Well, the young should never handle something fragile as a dream I said the young should never handle something fragile as a dream There's no point in saying 
sorry for these 20 years gone past No statute of limitations for acting like a jackass Time is always the best healer Distance makes things much more clear Even picking at a scab feels good just in the rearview mirror These ghost stories in the dark, oh my dear You are always game Stronger than I gave you credit for But crazy just the same Tall tales that we tell ourselves to their damnedest to dull the pain And you know every broken heart comes with a story Best told in the dark Comes with a story Best told in the dark And you know every broken heart Comes with a story from the dark And you know every broken heart Comes with a story from the dark And you know every broken heart Comes with a story Best told in the dark Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. But we're not done yet. Wait, we're not done yet. I'm already packing up. Done. What's going on? No, 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 Mike. Something very important we have to do. And what's that? We have to thank our fabulous Patreon supporters. Oh my God, the greatest people in the world. How could I almost forget about them? I never forget <laughs> about you. You are always in my heart. Thank you to everyone who's uh, subscribed to our Patreon. And mm-hmm. they did that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And a special shout out goes to Dr. Ned. Doc. Thanks for pledging at a level where you get a shout out every episode. We've got our hangout coming up on May 25th, and we're looking forward to catching up with all of you. And if anybody else wants to join us, just join the Patreon community. We'd love to have you. Find that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And Wendy and I will see you on the other side.